Welcome to Odds and Ends, a podcast that collects stories from every corner of UT. When you think of UT, you might think about our massive football stadium, vast campus, skyscraping bell tower, or lofty academic reputation. Or you might think about the squirrels that hang out outside the WCP, your favorite professor, or those comfortable chairs in the architecture library. UT is iconic in ways both big and small. This episode will explore just that. Maybe the most obvious and most impactful size difference on campus is that of economic background. While some students enjoy access to swanky high-rise apartments, expensive social organizations, and semester after semester of classes without worrying about applying for scholarships, others balance jobs and financial aid to make ends meet. Audio staffer Patricia Lim talked to a few students about this disparity. Attending a university can be very costly for a lot of families. And sometimes it's so expensive that it's not even an option. To help combat this, the University of Texas System Board of Regents voted to establish a $160 million endowment fund. This will support full tuition coverage for over 8,600 undergraduate students from families that earn less than $65,000 a year. But what happens to the students who can't afford to live in Austin, Texas, even with tuition covered? The conversation about tuition expenses is just a small portion of whether a student can afford to go to a four-year university. Families have to take into account room and boarding, transportation, books and supplies, and of course, health costs. Would the students that are on the bottom percentile of the socioeconomic class perform the same as the students who are on the top 20%? To find out, I talked to two UT students who considered themselves the opposite of each other's socioeconomic class. Um, I'm categorized as an independent for financial aid, and so my socioeconomic status is based on my only um, income, which is usually an income of a student, and it's whatever campus job will pay me. That was Desiree Ortega, neuroscience and Mexican studies major. Her mom is currently unemployed and studying at a community college in Houston while her dad is a manager at a hotel in Chicago. I also spoke with Jana Hermoso, a neuroscience and business of healthcare student. I think we're mid to high because we're well off. My mom is a pediatric cardiologist and my dad is a anesthesiologist. A lot of students like Jana have probably never sought financial resources at UT. But students like Desiree had to learn what resources are available for them to continue their studies. The Dean's Office of Student for Emergency Services is in the SSB office also. Um, They have emergency loans, so you can sometimes take up to $500 emergency loan. Um, I've used that to pay rent. Um, I've used that to pay multitudes of things. I use the UT Outpost, and that's like a place where you can go and get food if you're like food insecure sometimes even give you like gift cards she also mentioned the available financial resources at cmhc and la tienda which is located at gwb it's basically a shelf where people put food tampons toothpaste etc and you can just go and grab it 
Desiree had to also familiarize herself with Texas state benefits. I work 20 hours because that is the minimum amount of hours that you have to be to be a full-time student and to be able to have food stamps, which is just like the Texas benefits. One way to get the classic college experience is to join a club on campus, but hundreds of clubs require membership fees. I have to pick and choose what organizations I really want to be involved in based on how much they ask. So depending on the clubs, I'm able to either get like a scholarship um, or I can do payment plans, um, but I have to really dedicate a lot of my time and efforts into a club that I want to do, especially if it um, involves any type of money. Jana used to be part of the Texas Taekwondo Club, but decided to focus on her running career and joined the Gilbert Gazelles Running Club to get better coaching. If I were to zoom in on how these disparities emanate, um, well, I know that a lot of people who aren't as fortunate as me have to, have to work jobs in order to pay for the education, and that can impact their studies. Jana's right. According to Kate Trombitas, the author of An Everyday Reality for College Students, said, Financial stress has a direct negative impact on students' academic performance and progress. A lot of scholarships are GPA-based, and um, being low-income is an, a factor, too, that can impact your GPA um, and make it lower. And if your GPA is lower, you basically can't have access to applying to scholarships, which scholarship is financial support, which are resources. So it's kind of like a catch-22 there's no way out of it. It's super difficult to be able to live here and to, you know, stay focused in school and then even, like, graduate. I talked to UT professor Pedro Reyes, who focuses on education research. Surprisingly, I learned that disparities are not only from their current situation, but it also comes from their early childhood experiences. Well, the, the, one of the, uh, the most significant problems or challenges, if we, or disparities, if you will, is, is the uh, amount of resources that uh, uh, children in poverty get exposed to. I mean, and I mean, uh, I'm talking about readings, I'm talking about museums, I'm talking about all the cultural knowledge that is, uh, that is out there that is, 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 is difficult for parents who don't have any any monies to, uh, to, to access fairly quickly. So when the students from um, of high poverty come to school, they, they come with uh, a major, major significant um, difference in terms of vocabulary. So, so that's a major, major issue that uh, when they come to schools. UT is among many universities across Texas trying to make higher education more accessible. But how accessible is it really if living expenses are not being covered as well? For The Daily Texan, I'm Patricia Lim. Next up is a story from audio staffer Austin Cheatham. Austin talked to residents from the largest and smallest dorms on campus about how their homes away from home measure up. With two dining halls, a handful of classrooms, and up to 14 floors, the Jester Complex is the largest dorm on campus. Most UT students are well aware of that fact, but not as many people know that the smallest dorm on campus, Brackenridge, boasts only 122 beds compared to Jester's 3,200-person capacity. That makes Brackenridge about 26 times smaller than Jester. 
In order to see how these divergent norms measure up, I sat down with Jester resident Kiefer Serzing and Brackenridge resident Adam Kaplan to talk about their experiences in their respective dorms. So sometimes it can be a really convenient thing considering you don't have the same chaoticness of Jester but the convenience of everything that's right next to it. But at the other times, it, be can, it can become a very quiet place to live. Yeah, there's not a lot of community going on just because of how small it is. So outside of my roommate, I don't know that many people but it's still something very nice for me at least because I prefer smaller, quieter dorms at least if I'm gonna have somewhere to sleep. Um, I, I like it. Again, the, the dining hall is uh, it's right there, so it's like three minutes away. Um, you definitely have a lot of people there. Um, and compared to the other dorms, I'd say it definitely feels more inclusive per se just because there's so many people there. So I like it quite a lot, I guess. I then asked them why they chose their respective dorms and whether the dorm has lived up to their expectations. Yeah, so I didn't exactly know anyone here at UT, so a lot of the info that I got about the dorms was from their main website. So when I saw that Brackenridge was the smallest, I figured there would be a nice small community to start with, and I knew it was a really, really big school I was about to come to. However, one of the major factors behind these answers seemed to be majors. Radio television film major Adam described the dorm as nice, but somewhat inconvenient due to its distance from his college, whereas Kiefer explained the comfort of living next to where his classes take place. Again, the business school is probably five minutes away from Chester, if that. I remember last semester I had a economics as an 8 a.m., and I'd wake up at probably 7.50, and I'd still get there in time. So far, the story seems fairly cut and dry. Both dorms have their advantages and disadvantages, and there are specific reasons for people to choose either one or one of the many other dorms entirely. I mean, it's dorm living at the end of the day, so it's nothing spectacular. Yeah. But uh, I don't really have any major problems with it. I guess compared to other schools, the dorms are kind of small, but I, I don't have anything to compare it to personally, so... Kiefer similarly gave his reasons for moving out of Jester after the spring semester. Brackenridge at the moment feels like a good place to have started. But there have been some annoyances that I guess I could complain about. One of the biggest things is that because it's so small, I don't even have a front desk in my building or an elevator. So when I came to moving in, I had to go to a separate building to get my room and everything and then walk up four flights of stairs with a lot of luggages and whatnot. And that was a fairly big pain. Even now, if I don't have a room key because I forgot it or whatnot, I'll have to find a completely different building and essentially do a whole trek that can be an annoyance. Also, because of that system, they also implemented um, a sort of time limit on the door. So if I try to get in after midnight, it actually won't let me in and I'll have to go through Robert's building walk through their basement, and then up the stairs into mine. So uh, I've actually already signed a lease in the, the fall for an apartment in West Campus, so uh, I will not be continuing my stay. Uh, again, I think it was really important that I spent one year in there. With that said, I don't know if I want to spend another year in there. Finally, Adam and Kiefer leave bits of advice for any student considering Brackenridge or Jester in the future. One of the good things is that the rooms are actually pretty nice, especially if you get a corner room. I have We have walk-in closets. They're not exactly huge, but they're enough space to walk in and hang up stuff and shelves and whatnot, which is really nice. 
but yeah. I think it's actually one of the oldest dorms on campus. So a lot of the times I've heard stories about animals issues. Um, since I'm on the top floor, it's not as much of an issue, but I heard a story about a raccoon falling out of the ceiling or cockroaches and crickets during that time of the year. I, I actually kind of do enjoy just the amount of people there. Um, it kind of really conditions you for a, I guess, more city or real world aspect, if you will. Um, again, there are going to be so many people you walk by every day that you just don't know or don't speak to. But you do, uh, you meet people there and you begin to recognize them after a while, so it does kind of become homely. From the Daily Texan, I'm Austin Cheatham. UT is record-breaking on many fronts, academic, athletic, and otherwise. The university even boasts the biggest bass drum in the world, better known as Big Bertha. Audio staffer Jackie Ibarra talked to the tight-knit team that keeps Big Bertha in shape. It's 100 degrees and the sweaty, enthusiastic sea of burnt orange fans throw their horns up as the shadow of a bass drum rolls along the turf of DKR Memorial. Bertha waits patiently in the end zone for a Longhorn touchdown. Then, finally, the Texas Longhorns just scored a touchdown against heated rival Kansas State. Thousands of fans watch in admiration as Bertha's boom echoes through DKR Memorial after every score. A true Texas tradition. Taking the title as the biggest bass drum in the world, UT's Big Bertha is notorious for being a champion in size. But she's definitely not the biggest thing in Texas. The only thing bigger than Bertha is the love, the determination, and the great lengths the small group of students who are Big Bertha's guardians will go to for her. The guardians, known as the Bertha crew, don't just love, cherish, and polish Bertha. They also guide her, play her, and most importantly, protect her at all cost. Every hour, every day, and every football season. They introduced Bertha to eager fans during game day shows, they bang the giant drum during halftime and when the team scores, and it's an important part of the Longhorn games. I think it's something that people have become accustomed to seeing now, you know, for, gosh, and since 1955 that thing's been appearing at football games, so, you know, the fans, it's something they look forward to seeing, and, you know, just the whole experience. That was Scott Hanna, director for the Longhorn Band. Although it may seem cool to be at Bertha's side and be one of the elite few who gets a striker, yes, the big drum is a she. Crew member Emmanuel Mata, third-year applied movement science major, explains, moving such a large drum around is not as easy as it looks. Uh, pushing her is relatively hard, especially going uphill adds so much, but it's hard all over because like on the grass, it's not like like tough terrain, so like you have to push her along the turf. And we only use one hand when pushing her we, we, because we have to have the horns out. Fourth year computer science major Ivan Radkovich says producing Bertha's boom isn't as easy as just banging the drum. It's very tiring and the, the mallet weighs surprisingly more than you would expect. It's like swinging a lead baseball bat. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, yeah, so this mallet is huge. Um, it looks like a giant Q-tip, and you're swinging it with all your might. You can't just use your arms to swing it. You have to like almost use your body and turn to like hit it. Um, and hitting her just 
like whenever like whenever we're scoring is like is fine and is fairly easy but the hardest part comes whenever i have to hit bertha in time for example during the national anthem whenever the bass drum is supposed to be hit uh getting the timing down right is very hard because the mallet's so heavy and although bertha's guardian's main responsibilities are to guide her from end zone to end zone and parade her down bevo boulevard the responsibilities for being on bertha's crew include protecting such a precious part of longhorn history but mainly it's to protect her from people not like touching her because a lot of people do want to touch her like we even had one person like i think it was the end of the game i think against kansas state that this guy came up behind the drum and like started hitting her with their hands and we had to like push him away and like tell him like he can't do that like it was wrong basically but uh, i mean that's mainly our goal i guess to protect her because she is old she's fragile and i don't know if i even told you that during the the jimmy fallon thing that he that his guitar hit bertha and there's like a little hole on the side of her so it's like little things like that that can like actually damage bertha i would say the hardest part about uh being part of the crew and especially the leader is um dealing with drunk fans after the game whenever we have to take her from the stadium back to the music building. However, the Longhorns offensive linemen are not the only ones that have to get physical on game day. And we've had to use force to prevent people from getting to Bertha. Ivan says, Guardians have resorted to stiff arms, a technique used to fend off defensive players from getting a tackle. Or, in Bertha's case, from trying to touch her. But why are they so protective over Bertha? It's basically like an antique. You, when you go to an antique store, you don't want to touch everything there because like, then it loses its value. Not saying Big Bertha loses her value, but like, it's kind of like a sacred type thing because she's the biggest drum in the world. She was bought a long time ago for $1. And like, the value increases over time. Uh, we take time to clean her, uh, a polisher, protect her, to make sure that it looks good every single game and for everyone to... Uh, admire her so it's better to just look from a distance rather than trying to touch her because it just kind of like loses value if everyone tries to touch her rather than those who try to protect her pushing and marching in texas heat in full apparel swinging a metal bat as many as 42 times fending off those drunk fans and lugging a 500 pound drum may seem exhausting but to the members of the bertha crew being a guardian is totally worth it of course, it's awesome. I've wanted to do it. I want to do it like every single year. And it's awesome. I wish I would have been there my first year. Uh, so I could have just been having that extra experience with her because it's so cool. Big Bertha may just be that drum we see on game days. A great attraction to have on a late night talk show or simply just an artifact. But to the members of the Bertha crew, she's so much more. She is this huge impressive thing <laughs> i don't know i can't think of a better description she's just it's 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 a it's a wonder to see her uh, because she is just so big and so loud and has so much history behind her she just represents all like a lot of part of UT, just like bevo does or just like the hook'em sign does she's just as equally as important to those like signs of ut so I think that's what makes her like that special. Anyone can do the hook'em, but no one can really touch her.
For The Daily Texan, I'm Jackie Barra. That's all for this episode of Odds and Ends. This episode was made with the help of audio producers Aurora Berry, Harper Carlton, and Divya Jagadish. If you want to hear more from The Daily Texan, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Texan Audio so you can stay up to date there, too. I'm audio editor Sarah Schleed. Thanks for listening.